Let's begin in prayer, if we should, we could. Father, thank you for this day that you, by your sovereignty, by your providence, have called us to this place at this time. I'm, I'm just in awe, God, of what you've done and the details that you provide for us as a family, as an individual. God, we just, just look to you for uh, what, what you have in store for us, that your word would go forth. And <clears throat> again, pray for, pray for discernment, Father, that as the hearers hear what the word says, that they would understand and know uh, your words. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if any of you are new tonight, I have one or two handouts from last time. If you want to get those either now or later, you're welcome. I just have a few left. Last time, in, in short review, we talked about time. I, ne- I neglected last time to say that this caption that I talked about was from Dr. Chuck Missler. And he did a briefing pack called... Uh, stretching the heavens. And I want to just deviate a little bit from our subject to talk about this because uh, he talks about if you've ever wondered or tried to justify our world in the old earth scenario of whatever scientists say our world is 13 billion years old, I've heard, and up to 17 billion years old, just depends on who you listen to with uh, creation scientists that say that our Earth is only 6,000 years old based on the genealogies of the scriptures, basically. And that's a pretty confirmed, solid answer from creation scientists. But if you look at, at the secular creation, secular scientists, they say our Earth is that old, and they start with the solar system sending light, and they measure light from the distant galaxies and planets far away and they say that because light traveled that far you know 13 billion years light years away that our earth is is that old because of that now just to tempt you a little bit and to say that there are 17 passages in scripture that god talks about stretching the heavens maybe you've heard about this before i think it's really uh a phenomenal concept in regard to um, our old earth and our young earth. So if God made the, the heavens and then he stretched them out, that would put light billions of light years away. So it's a, it's a little teaser to say, I would like, if you want to, look, look into it, Stretching the Heavens by Chuck Missler. Uh, you can get it online or borrow a copy that I've got, and we can go from there. Enough said about that. Okay, in your handouts that you received tonight, there should be two handouts. One is called uh, The Source of Evil. God allows evil to exist. Okay, I, uh, I have to deal with this Sunday because I have a difficult passage in Colossians where it says God reconciles all things to himself. And it's obvious from the context that all things is literal. Mm-hmm. Yep. But we don't believe in universalism. So there's a way in which everything ends up in its place. I would say that God subjugates evil 
It's, it's, he cannot exist in his presence. There'll be no evil in heaven. They'll, our thoughts? Well, we live in a fallen world, and we're and we're not yet perfected. Well, to say our very thoughts originate with God, the whole world we live in originates with God. Without God, there'd be nothing. Okay? Now, however, we are not yet perfected, so we have good thoughts and evil thoughts. And it'll be like... All right, I would suggest... Can I recommend a book? All right. The, well, I, that's true, but it's not so easy just to dig through Genesis to Revelation and come up with a theology of evil. Um, okay, R.C. Sproul's book, The Invisible Hand, deals with this very nicely. To say our evil thoughts are just God thinking is a false doctrine called occasionalism. We don't believe that. Okay, in other words, God's not thinking evil. I am. I really exist. Whatever sin I do is real sin. It isn't God's sin. It's my sin. But God allows evil. As I said last week, he allows evil. He uses evil. He overcomes evil for a greater good. And remember uh, when it was said in the Old Testament, you meant it for evil. God intended it for good. This, and so that book is very good. Um, one of the issues is intentionality. Okay, let's just take two I- ideas and think about this. Sorry, is that okay? Yeah, please. Okay, let's say you have a heart surgeon with a scalpel doing open heart surgery, but because of unforeseen complications, the patient dies. Now... In the same city at the same time, a robber with a knife attacks a guy, stabs him in the heart, and he dies. Is there a distinction between the heart surgeon and the robber? They both had a knife, and in both cases, the heart was pierced, and in both cases, the person died. But in any system of law, including God's, that heart surgeon intention was to save life but we live in a fallen world the robber's intention was to do harm and to kill so it's not unreasonable to say you meant it for evil but god intended it for good well said bob the idea of intentionality god doesn't intend evil for his own people but he allows calamity for our greater good. And back again to this really simple diagram. Okay. Yeah, I just, uh, Romans uh, uh, 1, uh, 19 and 20. Um, I'll just start on 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. In unrighteousness, because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood, though what has been made, so that they are without excuse. And I think that this, this is my opinion, anyway, that we know what's good. 
you know, God has given that within our own spirit of yeah. what's good and what's evil. Yes. And it just seems to me, you know, we can make a cigarette, but it can be used for evil that it kills us if we're, you know, smoking the cigarette. And God can create it, but it's it. If I use it, um, and I and I I use the wrong, you know, I use the evil, which I should know what evil is because that's what it says in here. Then then that's something that that I should be aware of. And even in Romans, first Romans, he just talks about the consequences of following evil of what the what the seeds are of that is that make uh, something yeah, that would yeah. make sense I understand exactly that? what you're saying yes thank you I'm sorry to belabor the point but question it might be a matter of semantics that might be it um, to me to say God created e- evil impinges on the holiness of God where he is so pure he cannot look upon evil he can't be in the presence of evil so there is something i'm missing and i think it's semantics maybe i guess that's why i wanted to talk about this whole whole process here of the sovereignty of god and salvation because i think that concept is very common a lot of people think that and they neglect I think to take in the part of God's character that he's in control of the evil even the wicked for the day of evil it says that God's made everything even the wicked for the day of evil Isaiah 45 6 it says causing well-being and creating calamity now God is not just only a holy God, although he, of course he is. But I wanted you to just dip your toe a little bit into this concept that we see in Scripture that God is more than that. This is a tough issue, but I wanted you to kind of take a look at it. And the Scriptures go on and on and on about the things that God has done that we don't think of God doing, and yet they're in the scriptures. I get really excited about the scriptures when they say things like this. How can I look at, how can I believe the Bible and believe every detail about the Bible and not believe what these things are saying? So, yes, God is holy, but he's also creating calamity at the exact time and space in his, that he knows is the right place to do it. And the purpose for it is the sovereignty of God and salvation. Yeah, amen. There's a passage I wanted to reference earlier to that. God does send calamity, right? Okay. So sometimes that's what confuses us. The King James says evil. The newer translations say calamity. Yes. Right. Luke 13 at that time, some people, verse 1, came, some people came and reported about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. That's bad. Yes. Okay, right? And he responded to them, do you think that these Galileans are more sinful than all the Gal- Galileans because they suffered these things? No, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all perish as well. For those 18 that the Tower of Siloam fell on and killed. 
You think they were more sinful than all the people in Jerusalem? No, I tell you, unless you repent, shall all likewise perish. So calamity is telling us to repent. Exactly. <laughs> okay? Exactly. Yeah, and so there's a message there. God sends calamity. But see, Job's comforters were in his worldview. Everybody gets what they deserve, more like karma, right? Okay, and so Job must have been a worse sinner than everybody else. That's not what God said. No, it's not. No, the calamity comes from the hand of God, and Job had to learn that lesson. At the end of Job, as you know, the Job wanted to dismiss all his friends, those that they didn't help much at all. No. We could go on and on with this. Go ahead, Peter. Got another question? Go ahead, comment. You sat around too much today. Um, the plan of God uh, obviously reveals his glory. From a very human perspective, it seems like he's arrogantly set himself up as the superhero from my limited human point of view. Yes, that's exactly right, Peter. In, in Exodus thirty four fourteen, yes, at the end of your passage, for you shall not worship any other God, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. That's exactly right. He is a super, one that wants to be worshipped. Savior. Savior. I can see the wheels turning. This is good. <laughs> this is one reason why I like to present this. Exactly. Mark, right? Tom, thank you. Yes, that's exactly right. Linda. I'm just trying to sort this all in my head, but um, Adam and Eve could eat the fruit, right? Yes. I mean, did, did they have a concept of what evil was before Satan came to them? Satan was offering death. Yeah, but... Did, did, did Adam and Eve have, have a concept of sin? You know, sin, I think, at, at that time had already been introduced. It was in heaven before yes. the earth started. Yes. It, by but Satan's they, rebellion. But they didn't... Did they, they didn't... Could they have known what sin was all about until Satan well, presented him you know, with God, that? <laughs> God, God told them to not eat of the tree of good and evil or, or what would happen. Or what would happen. That they would, they would surely die. Well, you know, come, I, would, I, can, I can only, only imagine, you know, of, of the Garden of Eden and, and God and Abraham. Got him, Adam, Adam and Eve walking around in the, in the garden. I, I would imagine clothed in light, that they don't even know they have bodies. They do probably, but that's my imagination running. Uh, and then to have God tell them, "You can eat of anything you want here. Just don't eat of that tree, or otherwise you'll die." It's like, oh wow, you know that must have been some powerful words for those people there. 
Go ahead. Well, just an example that you could tell a child. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. oh sorry. Someone <laughs> snuck one in. <laughs> you could tell a child not to put his hand on the burner. He may not have any concept of what the consequences are, but there is a result one way or another. There are consequences. And you try yeah. to keep your yeah. child from that, but yeah. he may wish to test it out. Time is running, no more. running by quickly here. So he Let's sends it, he uses it, he's sovereign over it. Does that mean he created it or he allows the consequences of it? I mean, I think there's a distinction between he created it versus he's powerful over it, he allows it, he uses it. Good thoughts. Good question. I don't have all the answers. A better way to say it, God created yes. a world in which evil could and would arise. I can accept that. All right. Well, we know that for sure is true. There, if there's more to it, maybe, but we know that much is true. Moving ahead a little bit with the time we have left. Last time we talked about the sovereignty of God, the glory of God and the complete inability of a spiritually dead man. So I want to begin talking a little bit more about some concepts. Now these are man-made written, man-written concepts here based on scriptural principles. Uh, God's purposes will be accomplished. And these are on your handouts if you want to follow along. Number two, nothing that God wants to accomplish will be left unfulfilled. Put on your thinking caps again. We're not just reading through English here. These are concepts that you may not be comfortable with or, or think of very often. Number three, nothing can ever happen which would ultimately keep God from fulfilling everything that he wants. I really believe that. Nothing can ever happen which would ultimately keep God from fulfilling everything that he wants. There is no such thing as a stray maverick molecule in the universe outside the control and plan of God. Oh, my goodness, did I really say that? Yes, I did. A stray maverick molecule. Number five, if there is ever the slightest and most insignificant thing outside of God's control, it would have the ability to obstruct the plan of God. Logic, right? When you think it through, how could no that would God wouldn't allow that? It would. That's not what the scriptures say. God is allowing, is actually not only allowing but creating. Six, since God's plans are always accomplished, He never changes them. There are no Plan Bs with God. Now somebody's going to cite the. The passage, and I forget the reference now, but uh, where, where God actually did change his mind, but then you got to know that that was God's plan from the beginning. For anything that occurs, God could have prevented it if he had wanted to. Wow. Think of that. Therefore, if God allows something, it is because it was part of his plan from eternity past. 
Remember we talked about time and bring that up as we go here because in our little circle of time and God's infinite amount of um, perception that he lives in, dimensions that he lives in, it's hard to grasp that God has infinite amount of dimensions and we live in this little cubicle of time and when when it says there if God allows something is because of his plan from eternity past it's like how can this human mind grab that all in it's tough nonetheless that's that's what it says who, who he is number nine can only be said therefore that God permits something to occur because he has purposed and planned it to declare that God's original plan has been frustrated by sin is to dethrone God. Wow. These are strong statements. But that's how we should consider who God is. It just tweaks our, our, our world. It tweaks our, our everyday life to think of God this way. And that's another purpose. I get so excited about sharing the sovereignty of God because... It, it touches everything in, in our life from a different perspective. The car broke down on the freeway today, and I just had it serviced so it wouldn't do that. Is God in control of the car breaking down on the freeway at the worst possible time? Yes, he is. And had, if, uh, had, if he wanted to prevent it, could he have done that? Yes. As believers, I think it's a little easier for us to understand that, but sometimes we forget in our everyday world that God is so sovereign in every detail of our life. (laughs) Number 11, to suggest that God was taken by surprise in Eden and that he is now trying to remedy the failure is to degrade the most high to the level of of the finite to argue that God is a helpless spectator, wringing his hands over what the future brings, a future unforeseen by him, is to deny God of his sovereign omniscience and omnipotence. This is where open theism comes from. You know, like when the Twin Towers fell, i use that example again, God is not in heaven holding his head thinking, now what am I going to do? He is not a helpless spectator. This is a tough concept for people to wrap their minds around that God is not just one holy, perfect God, and that's all he is, his love and, and holiness. Read Revelation. Man, the, 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 we're, we're talking about Revelation. You, I'm going through that in another source here. Wow. 13, the sovereignty of God is absolute, irresistible, and infinite. God is sovereign in all of his attributes and has the right to govern the universe just as he pleases. He can do anything he wants to do, anytime he wants to do it, any way he wants to do it, for the, any purpose he wants to accomplish. And our minds are really, really small compared to what God's plan is. We've lived enough in this life to see pretty phenomenal things but wait till we get to heaven we ain't seen nothing yet (laughs) 15 to 
to deny the sovereignty of God is to go down a path which eventually will lead to blank atheism. It really will. You start knocking out the blocks of, of um, sovereignty of God and his, who God is, you leave really nothing left. Jonathan Edwards, I read this one last week, but I put it on the overhead and in your handout so you could have it. I thought it was really good. The great New England preacher and theologian of the 18th century had an equally deep love for these truths. He wrote when he was 26 about the day he fell in love with the sovereignty of God. There has been a wonderful alteration in my mind in respect to the doctrine of God's sovereignty. From that day to this, God's absolute sovereignty is what my mind seems to rest assured of as much as anything that I see with my eyes. The doctrine has very... The, the doctrine has very often appeared exceeding pleasant, bright, and sweet. Absolute sovereignty is what I love to ascribe to God. God's sovereignty has ever appeared to me a great part of his glory. It has often been my delight to approach God and adore him as a sovereign God. That's my heart. That's, that's, where, I, that's where I'm coming from. That's why I picked up the quote. I think as we go through even more of Scripture from what we did last week and up to now, talking about the sources of evil, we'll uh, look into that a little bit more. Bob, we've got a question in the back. Could you help us a little bit, please? Norm has got a question. You know, everything we've said about the sovereignty of God uh, is true. And I believe it. Where my mind goes on overload is when I try to tie in the free will of man and that we go through life and we make decisions every day. And, and they are truly free decisions. We are not forced on what we do, but yet they are all and somehow under God's sovereignty and try to mesh Free will and sovereignty together is is very difficult. <laughs> it is. Last time we were here, last very time we deep. talked about. <laughs> last time, thanks, Norm, for that comment. Last time we talked a little bit about free will and free agency, and these are definitions just to separate the two. I think that um, you're saying what I also believe and what I also think. Free will being the belief that the will of man is without restraint or restriction. Nothing externally nor internally hinders the free exercise of the will to choose that what it may. So this is a very, very technical, fine-tuned definition of free will. But when you look at a free agency, and this is what I believe you were saying, and this is how I would define it. Man is free to make choices based on his strongest inclinations. Although fallen, he still has reason conscience can recognize moral distinctions and choose what it may. So when you talk about free will, in my mind, there is no free will absolutely because of all the outside external influences around our world, around everywhere. We're influenced by something. If you're offered a dish of candy, various, various kinds and sizes of candy, you're going to pick the one that you like from previous previous experience. 
Um, simple, simple example, but you get the idea. Okay. Tom, you had a similar question? Hold on here then. Okay. Please, oh, say it <laughs> okay. in the mic. The question was, do we have choices? Absolutely we have choices, and this is how I, how I base that on, that we are free agents in, in Christ. I don't think we can have a free will. No, I don't think anybody really can have a free will. But I think we can be, when we are, a free agent to use the, the, the faculties that God has given us, the gifts, the talents, the choices, the experiences in our world today to make choices. And, of course, you know, the scriptures influence us. Other, you know, infinite amount of things influence us. Not at all. He's not, comment was, he's not surprised at the choice that we make. No, God is not surprised at all. Again, I think of, you know, eternity past. God is infinite. He, God, God always was. You know, and he, like, where, where was that? Where, where is that? Where is eternity past? And, and, where where did God start this process that we're seeing happen now before our eyes every day? Uh, I don't know. I don't get that. Steve, you gave a great answer. I was just going to give an example to kind of bolster your your answer there. Um, okay. One example is think about the fact that, in a sense, God is the only one that ultimately has free will because he has all power. And so our free will is always limited, as Steve was saying, by circumstances. So think of the analogy where you, you're a passenger on a ship going from Liverpool to New York, and you can play a shuffleboard or you can play cards or you can just sit and eat at the buffet. And, and so you have a lot of free choices on that ship, but the ship is going from Liverpool to New York, and you, you, can't, you don't have the free will to de- derail that. So ultimately, God is the one that has ultimate free will because he has all power. And so our, let's say I said, you know, tomorrow that's it, I've had it, I'm destroying the whole universe. <laughs> um, that's something that God has obviously limited. And as Steve has rightly said, there's also obviously God's providential hand working through the affairs of man. And if he has every single molecule ordered and sustains them, as Bob has been teaching in Colossians, he orders it in such a way where he can even put forward the suggestions in the human heart and mind where they will desire the things that he has determined. So um, in a sense, then, only God has ultimate free will because he has all power. So there's a limitation. I like your distinction even in between free will and free agency in that regard. So anyway, I'll shut up at that point. We have articles about this, by the way, on CICMinistry.org. I wrote an article called Free Will or Bondage of the Will. Definitions are critical. On open theism, there's an article on the foreknowledge of God on Greg Boyd's open theism. I did debate Greg Boyd uh, publicly at one point. And as a preacher, I, I feel it's absolutely necessary to preach every passage with equal passion. All right? Yes. Okay. Yes. And yes. I can't just cherry-pick the ones I like best so I can stay on the same theme because then I'll become unbalanced. Yep. And so when it says here, when God said in Ezekiel 18, for I take no pleasure in anyone's death, 
saith the Lord, so repent and live. That's, that's what we're going to preach. You know, the philosophers might say, well, you can't believe in God's sovereignty if you're telling people to repent and live. Oh, yes, I can. <laughs> okay, we're at uh, five minutes to eight. Let's begin with the uh, Trinitarian expressions of love in our handouts. This is another concept that I learned several years ago. Kind of exciting. <laughs> God makes a promise. Titus 1 and 2. Titus 1, 1, 1 and 2. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth which is according to godliness in the hope of eternal life which God cannot lie, promised before the beginning of time, promised to whom? This is God doing a promise. Okay, Roman numeral one. I want you to take note of the Roman numerals here as we go. Roman numeral one, God makes a promise. Okay, Roman numeral two. Promise is made from the Father to the Son. The Father, in his expression of love for the Son, gives the gift of a redeemed humanity, the elect, those that he has chosen before time, who would praise, glorify, and serve the Son for all eternity. Okay? And read it, look at it, think about it. Second Timothy 1.9, Who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to his own purpose and grace, which was granted us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Amen. From all eternity. Sometime I want to do a study on First Peter again. It's just, oh, there's so many promises of God in that study and in hope. Roman numeral three, the father sends the son to die and give his life which would efficiently secure the salvation of the redeemed humanity. Okay, see the plan? We know this much so far, not too much different. John seventeen eighteen. as you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. Okay, Roman numeral four. The Father draws the redeemed humanity and gives them to the Son. The son receives and keeps them. You see the steps here, the processes that, that are going on behind the scenes and raises all of them up on the last day. John six thirty seven. All that the Father gives me will come to me. And the one who comes to me I will certainly not cast out. Amen. Hallelujah. John 6:39 This is the will of him who sent me that all of all that he has given me I lose nothing in blue I lose nothing but raise it up on the last day John 6:44 No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. I shared this concept of the sovereignty of God and salvation with a group of uh, guys that were never heard this principle before, never heard this concept before, election, predestination. 
we get through this stuff, and a lot of them are Armenian-leaning, which is okay for, you know, new. Actually, these are mature believers, call it that way, just uninformed. You get through towards the end, and you go, you know, God is sovereign. He chooses who he chooses, and, and they tend to forget the first parts of the study. And it says verses like this, John six forty four. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. I'm beginning to take the word more seriously, more every day than I ever have in, in all of my life. And words like this, they're like flashing neon lights to me. The Father who sent me draws him, unless the Father who sent me draws him. What does that mean? Oh, that somebody just happened to become a Christian? Boy, we know from behind the scenes now that there's a whole lot more going on than just somebody decides to become a Christian. I mean, I don't want to, you know, make that seem small at all because it's a worthy thing to celebrate. Okay, I've got to move on. John, John 10, 27 through 29. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. I've heard excuses and excuses and excuses and very, you know, twisting the word and twisting ideas and concepts in order to not accommodate these words that are written in Scripture that every you know, dot and, and tittle of the word will not pass away until it's fulfilled, Jesus said. And when Jesus said, you know, a, a dot and a yacht and a tittle is, is like a curl on the top of a T. It's barely a, a little bit of a, of a mark. Um, forget what the, the, the tittle is, but it's barely a, a breath in the, in, the, in the Greek language. You, you guys, Eric and Bob, could share more into, into that, but the point is, is that these words are really, really strong. John seventeen six. I have manifested your name to the men whom you gave me out of the world. They were yours, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. John seventeen nine to twelve. I ask on their behalf. I do not ask on the on behalf of the world, but of those whom you have given me for they are yours. And all things that are mine are yours. This is Jesus talking to God. And yours are mine, and I have been glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, and yet they themselves are in the world, Jesus is telling God, and I come to you, and I come to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given to me, that they may be one even as we are one. While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me, and I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scriptures would be fulfilled. There's that concept of evil again coming up. And there's Jesus talking to God about it, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Who wrote the scriptures? The Holy Spirit. Men inspired by the Holy Spirit. John seventeen twenty four. Father, I desire that they also, 
whom you have given me be with me where I am, so that they may see my glory, which you have given me. For you loved me before the foundation of the world. I'm sorry. I'm going to repeat myself again and just go over this verse again. So that they may see my glory, which you have given me. Look it. It's in the Word. It's in, it's in the Scriptures. I want you to think about that. I want you to get it in your brains and, and dwell on it. Because that's, that's who gets the glory. It's not me. It's not our world. It's not somebody else, but it's God. Uh, Roman numeral five. The Son in turn gives the kingdom and the redeemed humanity back to the Father as an expression of his love for the Father. Here's Jesus giving the, the kingdom back to the Father. 1 Corinthians 15, 24. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to the, to the God and Father, when he has abolished all rule and all authority and power. Roman numeral 6. God's purpose, therefore, in saving you. Ah, perk your ears up, right? God's purpose in saving you is so that you might praise the Son forever. You see that? See the progression that that happened here. Second Corinthians five fifteen, and He died for all, so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. That's where we are, believers. That's where we are. That we might live for him on his, on his behalf. Revelation 4, 10, 11. The 24 elders, a glorified church. Heard many, many say that this is their concept of that. That's what I, I believe. Who the 24 elders are. Will fall down before him who sits on the throne. And will worship him who lives forever and ever. And will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. Now, I'm, bear with me here. I'm going to just flip back through our throughout those Trinitarian expressions of love, and I want you to look at just the, just the Roman numerals for just a second so you can see again what's, what we just went over. God makes a promise to whom the promise is made from the Father to the Son. The Father, in his expression of love for the Son, gives the gift of a redeemed humanity, the elect, who would praise, glorify, and serve the Son for all humanity. Three, the Father sends the Son to die and give his life, which would efficiently secure the salvation of the redeemed humanity. Four, the Father draws the redeemed humanity and gives them to the Son. The Son receives and keeps them and raises all of them up on the last day. What have I got? More than one, five here? Four, that was four. Sorry. Five. The Son, in turn, gives the kingdom and the redeemed humanity back to the Father as, as an expression of his love for the Father. Six, 
God's purpose, therefore, in saving you is so that you might praise the Son forever. And just for clarification, because you called it the Trinitarian expressions of love, and that can be a confusing topic, and there are millions of people in the, out in the world that don't believe in the Trinity. Um, we talked about God, and we talked about the Son. How would you include the Trinity in, in or the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit. in these um, Roman numerals that you mentioned? Is there any other questions? <laughs> I didn't include that. Uh, I don't have a good answer for that, Luann. Uh, the, the main reason there, of course, is that the Father and the Son and the Spirit are, are all one. Uh, other than that, I don't have a good answer, and I need to research that. Okay. Well, I mean, I just had a couple. I mean, I didn't mean to put you on the spot because I highlighted a couple of the verses myself that I thought would draw from that okay go ahead help, help me out <laughs> well i mean i'm not saying it's right but help i'm just yeah. um you know in john ten twenty seven, you said or it says um my sheep hear my voice well you know that can only be the holy spirit opening your heart and mind to hear his voice that's you know um one of the functions of the holy spirit and then i had um they have kept your word and the holy spirit is you know he functions as um, bringing the word back to people's remembrance and also working through the authors, you know, getting it on paper in the first place. But, I mean, those were just the couple that I had thought of, but I was just wondering if I was missing something, so I didn't mean to put you on the spot. I I will uh, look into that a little bit more and try to... You know, another good one would be in in John 15 where it said he, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, when he comes, will testify of me. Amen. The Holy Spirit caused us to testify of Christ, and that's the means God uses. Say, say the reference again, please, Bob. John. John 15, which one is it? 26? 26, yeah. Is that right? Yeah. Well, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> I narrowed it down to a chapter. <laughs> oh, yeah, Titus 3, 5. Good okay. point. And then one way of thinking of it is um, the, the Father planned it, Christ accomplishes it. And the Holy Spirit applies it. And uh, so the whole Trinity is active. And, okay. Say that again, what you just said. Uh, if we think about God the Father planned it, and, and when, we, when I say that, the whole Godhead is involved with it, but the order of the Trinity in our salvation is God the Father plans it, Christ accomplishes it, and then the Holy Spirit applies it. So like even all the way back in Ezekiel 36 or Jeremiah 31, the promise of regeneration is by the Spirit. Although, notice, Steve, in your passage there in John six forty four, it's the Father who draws him. So no one can come to the faith to faith in Christ unless the Father draws him. But who is it that regenerates the third person of the Trinity, the Spirit? So you can, and then Christ is the one who can raise himself up, but he's also raised by the Spirit and by the Father. No one lays my, no one takes my life. He says in John ten, but I lay it down and I have the authority to take it up. So you see inner trinitarian role taking <laughs> as well so anyway i'm sorry oh that's no, great be sorry Thank for you. being full of the scripture no. no that's that's exactly right some interesting discussion tonight interesting thoughts we're a little bit over time but 
Hope you uh, used your thinking caps and learned something that you can take home with you. Um, God's purpose, therefore, in saving you so that you might praise the Son forever. Let's pray together. Father, what a privilege to look into your word, to put on our thinking caps, consider concepts maybe that we haven't discussed before or thought of. Lord, I pray that you would be the one that would um, mellow the highs and the lows and the turbulences that some might be going through at this time. Let's pray, God, that uh, you would give the answers to people that, that need them, that they might seek out answers that they never even had questions for before. Because, God, you're so worthy to be glorified. You're so worth putting our time into, our energy into. We just stand in awe, Father, of who you are and that you've revealed this plan to us and that one day we can be in heaven with you. Just give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you.